you so much for this morning, and thank you for these women that are here today. Lord, minister and bless them. We pray, and those that couldn't be with us for different reasons, may they be aware of your presence, even as we ask that we would be aware of your presence moving in our midst, Lord. We just want to commit ourselves in this morning to you and ask that you give us ears to hear what you would say, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the message is just kind of an introduction to the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. If you had a lesson to do from last week, um, then you are already familiar with those verses. A couple of uh, just intro uh, statements I want to make to you. The study of the Beatitudes should teach us about what our attitudes should be. Last week, I read a few quotes from some biblical scholars and commentators Bottom line, basically, to kind of sum up, the Beatitudes are more of exclamations and triumphant shouts that, should, that declare the joy that should be a permanent state for the Christian, the joy that should not and will not be affected by the circumstances of the believer or the world in which the believer is living. There are eight Beatitudes, eight statements of blessedness, and we're going to take one per week to go through them. Um, between now and December. Um, they're recorded in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And Jesus made these statements at the beginning of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. All, Oswald Chambers said of this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. And I like to, for my own simplicity, simple way of understanding things. I like the Lord did give me three parts to a message, and he did. We're going to go over the setting, the seriousness, and the spirit as we look at these first two verses in Matthew. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 and 2 and talk about the setting. And seeing the multitudes, he, and we know it's Jesus, went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, we're going to see what he says starting next week as we look at the first of the eight Beatitudes. But for this morning, again, just an intro message to these first two verses. In Matthew chapter 4, we can read of Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he encountered the enemy who tempted him in three different areas, and we know he was victorious, and we know his victory came as he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. So he gave us the example of how we can have victory when we encounter the enemy and his temptations, if we stand on the word of God and say, but God, it is written, it is written, it is written. And as you saw through the lesson, chapter 4 then gives us the background or the setting to Jesus' teaching here on the mountain. He had already begun his public ministry. He had been healing and preaching and teaching um, while proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and already had multitudes following him. He had chosen and called out his 12 disciples to be apostles. Now, when I read that, I thought, okay, we always think of the 12 disciples, right, or the 12 apostles. Well, a disciple is one who follows his or her teacher, is a pupil or a student of that teacher. There were many followers, many disciples of Jesus, 
But out of those disciples, he called out 12 men to be his 12 apostles. Now, an apostle is one who is sent forth, usually thought of the 12 that Jesus called and sent out to share the gospel, to heal the sick, to deliver those that were demon-possessed. And there's two different Greek words. The one for disciple means a learner or a pupil. An apostle is one commissioned or one sent. Well, in reality, if you're being taught by the Lord and following him and consider yourself a student of his, then you're one of his disciples. We've all been called and commissioned, right? The great commission in Matthew and sent out by him to go into all the world. So in that sense, we can consider ourselves to be an apostle. But we're not one of the apostles, one of the original 12 apostles that were given that position and authority to basically go out and lay the foundation of the early church. Now, we know the exception was Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, who was replaced by Matthias. After Peter and the other 10 apostles prayed and asked the Lord who should be raised up. And it was determined between Joseph and Matthias that Matthias would be the one. One of the requirements of one of the 12 apostles was that they had to be a witness of Christ's resurrection. So that right there tells us we believe in Christ's resurrection, but we're not an eyewitness. So we're not one of the apostles, although we have been called and sent out by the Lord. Okay, back to Matthew 5, 1. It says, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. Thus, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. The mountain was in Galilee, where Jesus had been ministering with people coming from all over the areas around to see him, to hear him, to touch him, and to be healed by him. One interesting thing I think that Matthew Henry pointed out that I want to share with you about where Jesus went up to this mountain. He says he went to a mountain because the law was originally given on a mountain. But there, the Lord came down to the mountain. Here, Jesus went up to the mountain. There, the Lord spoke in thunder and lightning. Here, he spoke in that still, small, human voice. There, the general population was told to stay away. Here, all could come, both Jew and Gentile alike. Well, Jesus sees you, and he wants to teach you. But are you coming to hear him? Are you coming to draw near to him? Are you coming to be touched by him? You are, because this is why you're here. You're here to study the Bible. Praise God. He wants you to be here, and he wants to teach you through this study. Wearsby wrote, The Sermon on the Mount describes the character of the truly righteous person, character that comes from a walk with the Lord. And as I mentioned last week, it deals first with character, and then conduct that comes out of that character. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in three chapters in Matthew, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and then throughout portions of Luke. Now, we're not studying the Sermon on the Mount, but these eight Beatitudes are at the very beginning of Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And many, most agree, it was not The sermon was not given all at one time, but over a course of time, as Jesus taught his apostles about the character and the conduct of one who would be part of his kingdom. Well, he was teaching about inward righteousness, um, which was in direct opposition to what the people had been already hearing and being taught by the religious leaders. He was teaching 
the inward righteousness that results in outward living as opposed to the legalism and religion, man's efforts to be righteous before God. And John Stote wrote, here is a Christian value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, lifestyle, and network of relationships, all of which are totally at variance with those of the non-Christian world. So that's basically the setting of the Beatitudes. Jesus going up to a mountain to teach the way of the kingdom, which was in opposition to the way that man believed the kingdom should be, and many, many were following him. So number two, the seriousness of what Jesus was going to teach. Again, when he was seated, and I think I put this in the lesson, indicates he was about to teach as was with the custom of the rabbis when they would be teaching in their official capacity as that teaching rabbi they would sit down well Jesus came and sat down in that official capacity he was going to teach with authority and you can't get more official than the king teaching about the kingdom um And so I think that's kind of neat that we get to learn from the king of kings about his kingdom and the kingdom that we are part of as believers. It says, after he was seated, then his disciples came to him. And the lesson for us, of course, is we need to go to him, not just in our study, but every day we need to go to him. He's always open for us to come. He's always wanting to teach us and to open our understanding more and more so that we can learn more of him and of his ways. Second Peter 3.18, I think Loree mentioned it last week, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we learn, we will grow. And as we grow, we mature. As we mature, we become more Christ-like. And as we become more like Jesus, these attitudes will be our attitudes. We need to be like Mary, who also sat at his feet, which gives me the indication or impression that Jesus must have been seated again, must have been sitting down when Mary came and sat at his feet. Uh, to, and she gave him her full attention, which we need to do. You'll be able to talk more about Mary's example when you get into your groups. In verse 2, it says, And then he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, this phrase, he opened his mouth, doesn't just mean he was going to start verbalizing and using words to communicate. Basically, it, it's a phrase in Greek that kind of indicates that what he had to say was going to be very serious, was going to be with authority, was going to be very important. God the Son was going to speak. He was going to teach. He wasn't going to be telling jokes. He wasn't going to be trying to convince them that his way was right and everyone else was wrong. The master was going to be speaking. The teacher was going to teach. Now, a wise student would be listening with their whole heart. A wise student would be giving him their full attention, just like we need to whenever the Lord's going to speak to us. And Jesus will speak to us if we quiet our hearts and listen. And we know he speaks to us through his written word when we open it. He will speak to us through our times of prayer as we maybe pour out our thanks and our praise and our requests. We need to quiet our hearts and listen to what he maybe wants to respond to us. He'll speak to us and teach us through our pastors and our teachers, through others, as you will be doing whenever you meet in your group and you share with one another the things that you're going to be gaining and gleaning through your study during the week. 
And then he'll speak to us even through our circumstances. But we must be willing to listen and give him our full attention and turn away from the distractions of this life that we all deal with. Now, our, our son and his family were over the other night, and our grandson is in seventh grade, and he had some homework to work on. Well, our son and, and my husband had the football game on. Well, my grandson plays football, so of course, he didn't want to go in the other room to work on his homework while he was over. And so he pulled up an ottoman to the coffee table and thought, okay, I'm going to, I'll work right here. Well, you know how that went, right? He'd, he'd write one word maybe on his paper and then turn to the TV and watch the football game. And his mom would get after him and say, Matthew, go back to your paper. And this went on for 15, 20 minutes. It was getting kind of funny. Well, finally, he just got down on the floor, turned his back to the TV, and started working. And then he was able to concentrate, not watching what was going on. Well, it made me think of how we need to turn away from all the distractions that will keep us from giving the Lord our full attention. Math, uh, so, sorry, Psalm 25.4, the psalmist prayed, Show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. And I love this because in Psalm 32.8, it's almost like the Lord answers, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. And I've shared this many times, but when our granddaughter, who is a junior in high school, was about two or two and a half, I was babysitting, and she had a pencil. It had not been sharpened yet, and she had it in her hand, and she went up to the wall in where I was sitting on the couch, and it was one of the walls right there, and she kind of put the pencil up to the wall, and she turned back and looked at me, you know, and I could just kind of look at her, and I shook my head, and she put it down, waited kind of a second, moved over a couple of feet put it back up to the wall, you know, and look back again. And then I said, Kayla, no, we don't write on the wall with pencils. Well, it was like the Lord just said, that's how he guides us with his eye. That's what that means. We need to look to him for his guidance, for his approval or disapproval. When we're seeking him and we need to be seeking him, Lord, shall I do this? Can I go there? whatever we're seeking him over as we commit our way, then we need to look to him. And he says he will instruct us, he will teach us, he will guide us, and he will guide us with his eye to see that he's watching us. We need to look to him through his word and through that still small voice. So we need to be seeking him. And that's why I always put in the lesson right at the beginning, commit your study time to the Lord. Pray Seek the Lord. Ask him to be the one who will teach and guide you as you do your lesson. And to be taught, ladies, we need to be teachable. We need to be humble and realize that there is so much more to what we've already learned as a believer. And I think the longer you know the Lord and the longer you've walked with him and the more you've learned, the more you realize how little you actually know and how much more there is to know about him. And not only that, We need to be doers of his word, not readers only, not hearers only. If Jesus is going to speak, if he's going to teach, it will be serious. It will be important. And and hearing the Lord and learning from the Lord should be our number one priority. Yes, he has a sense of humor. Yes, he will comfort us. Yes, he will encourage us through through it all. But he wants us to listen to him through it all to learn and to be taught and to be changed by then what he teaches. And that brings us to point three. 
the Spirit, the Spirit. Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the understanding when we read his word. Did you ever try to read the Bible before you were born again, before you had the Spirit of God? I don't know about you, but when I tried, it made no sense. It was like, okay, big deal, you know? But once I was born again and I had the Spirit of God living in me, not that I understood everything I read every time I opened my Bible, but he began to turn the light on. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the understanding that teaches us what the Word of God says and means. Now, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Godhead. And we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And we know all Scripture is what? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he's the author, and he's always with us whenever we choose to open the Word. The author is going to give us understanding of his Word. Before we're born again, the Holy Spirit is with us, wooing us, drawing us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge our sin and, and we invite Jesus Christ to come into our lives, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. Our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians um, 6.19 tells us, I think also 3.19. So we need this fullness of the, the Holy Spirit living in us. We're a child of God. He begins to do that work, changing us from the inside out, giving us understanding of his word. But then there's the coming upon that fullness where the Holy Spirit totally covers and immerses us, giving us the power to live the life, to be his witnesses, not just go tell people about Jesus, but by the way we live, living out our faith. And that's that enablement of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 was one of the verses I put in the lesson about the Holy Spirit. And it reads, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, the New Living Translation makes it a little clearer. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. Every time we look to the Lord in the word, in prayer, in fellowship with others, he is constantly and consistently changing us into the same image, making us more Christ-like. He's the one who works these beatitude, attitudes, and character into our lives. Now, the word beatitude is not in your Bibles. It's not um, going to be found. These are called the beatitudes because the word beatitude comes, or this blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and so on, comes from a Latin word that basically means blessed or a state of blessedness. And it's kind of like the, this is an attitude we've already been given but sometimes we don't always live it out or realize it. It's like our position in Christ. We're seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. But when you get up in the morning and put your feet on the floor, do you sense that you're living in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus? I don't. I'm very aware. I'm still in this world. I want out. I want the Lord to come. But our position in Christ is that we're seated in the heavenlies. Well, these beatitudes, these blessed states, 
of joy and, and fulfillment are ours already, but they're not always fully realized as we live out these attitudes. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We know we're transformed by the word and by the work of the Spirit. He will use the word to teach us and change us. He changes our thinking. He changes our attitudes. He changes our desires and our motives and our interests and our character and our conduct. And little by little, he changes the course of our life, the direction of our life, the purpose of our life. So that's the work he does. What's our part in this work? Ours is to surrender to God's will. Ours is to yield to the Lord. Ours is obedience. Ours is cooperation. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, uh, it was the way Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to uh, close his second letter. And he says, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, this is talking about the Trinity. We have Jesus, we have God the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit. And I bring this up because it talks about the communion of the Holy Spirit being ours. That word communion in Greek is koinonia, and it refers to a very close, personal, intimate relationship that God wants us to have with God the Holy Spirit. We're not to be fearful. We're not to be shy. We're not to be ignorant of the work the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Another uh, meaning of that is to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We need to partner with the Holy Spirit because he wants to first reveal Jesus Christ to us and then through us. He wants to glorify Jesus first in us and then through us. And he's the one, again, that's going to give us more understanding as we cooperate, as we seek the Lord. He is at work on our behalf to help us. So basically, to wrap up, we need to choose to sit with Jesus so we can listen to him teach through his word as the Spirit gives us understanding of what it means and what it means in application to our lives. We need to respect and respond realizing the authority in which Jesus is teaching us and what he is taught, what God's word says. We don't get to just pick and choose the things that we like and ignore the parts we don't like. I think I've shared with you the first license plate holder I ever bought as a young believer said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, I've since read too, it doesn't matter if I believe it or you believe it, God said it, that settles it. But it helps when we believe it right? And we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit by being teachable, by being humble, and by letting him change you and your attitude as you go through this series of study on the eight Beatitudes. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for your spirit that you've given to us to help us understand more fully your word and how it applies to us. Lord, we want to know you more, even as Chris led us in song. And so, Lord, help us to, to draw close to you, and we know you draw near to us as we draw near to you. So thank you for that, Lord. I pray you bless the discussion groups, Lord, as the women get to know one another and minister one to another through your word and through this work that you've begun, Lord, as we open your word and look to learn more through these eight Beatitudes, Lord. So teach us and have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.